So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Spree, are you still here? <laughs> I am still here. Hopefully not to the chagrin of our listeners, but Andre will be away for a while, so I will be doing my best to fill his shoes. I hope you know I'm just teasing. I'm really happy to have you. Oh, and I'm glad to be here. So listen, you got right down to work this week. What were you up to? I don't know. No honeymoon period, no grace period. Just throw me right in the deep end. That's right. So I spoke to NDP MP Hélène Lavardière, who is the global foreign affairs critic, um, about starting a subcommittee to oversee and to get more info to Canadians about what kind of arms deals Canada enters into. This has become a pretty hot topic lately. It seems like we actually don't know a lot as Canadians about who we even sell weapons to. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I mean, the Saudi arms deal is what really set this off. And I think we reached a sort of collective tipping point in this country to kind of ask ourselves who we should be getting into bed with when it comes to these types of deals, especially when they have less than stellar human rights records. And I've also heard that some of our other partners, for example, the Netherlands, have said recently that they don't want to do any weapons business with the Saudis. Absolutely. They've drawn a line in the sand, quite clear. And of course, here in Canada, the liberal line and and many others have said that because this Saudi arms deal was actually inked before the liberals came into power under the conservatives, that they don't really have the ability to just tear up a deal that has already been in place. Then there's also the question, of course, of these 3,000 something or odd jobs in London, Ontario. And then there could possibly be even further jobs down the supply chain that also need to come into factor for Canadians. Well, I want to hear more. Let's get into this. I'm Supriya Devetti. I'm Desmond Cole. And this is Canada Land Commons. This episode of Canada Land Commons is supported by Audible.com. If you go to audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand right now, you can get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial. Supriya, you got a book for this week. I do. It's not a new book, you know, but I consider it to be a classic because I've always watched all the movies and I never read the books. Of course, I am talking about Harry Potter. Of course. I'm starting from scratch. I, I feel like I was the, I'm the lone person on this earth who's never read any of the books, and I just felt like a bit of a loser. And so? It's quite good. And, uh, you know, I got to say, the books really allow you to form a picture in your head. But now that I've seen the movies, ah, the books are better. They are. Go to Audible. If you don't want to read them, have them be read to you. Yes, indeed. Go to audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand right now. You can get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial. Once again, that's audibletrial.com. 
com slash CanadaLand. So you've been busy. You did your homework, Sapria. Before you spoke with the NDP foreign affairs critic, you actually spoke with Anthony Fenton. Who's he? So Anthony Fenton is a PhD candidate at York University who is studying the political economy of Canada and the Middle East. So he really knows his stuff. I started off by asking him what we even know about this Saudi arms deal to begin with. The light armor vehicles, the LAVs, as we call them, they are uh, produced in part in London, Ontario, by General Dynamics Land Systems. We're not 100% certain uh, in terms of the quantity of them, but they're saying it's a deal for upwards of $15 billion over at least a decade. This will involve, they say, upwards of 500 different Canadian companies along the supply chain, as they term it. The Saudis purchased several hundred of the uh, previous incarnation of the lab from General Dynamics in the past. They have a number existing. We've seen a number of them in action, so to speak, along the border with Yemen. There's, a, of course, a Saudi-led war there. So basically, these are going to be used, as far as you know, for internal policing, but also possibly for expeditionary purposes. They're involved in uh, a couple of conflicts in the region, as we know, in Yemen, uh, and then uh, the battle against ISIS. You mentioned this deal is about $15 billion. So what exactly would it mean for Canada if we lost that business and we cancelled this deal? Uh, it'd certainly be a blow to General Dynamics land systems. I don't even know if, what they would do at this point because I think they're pretty far along in terms of producing these. It would deliver a heavy blow to the uh, local economy. We'd lose jobs, potentially. Thousands of Canadians and, of course, tens of thousands of family members would be affected. But that's an age-old argument, right? I mean, we should be looking at the opposite argument as well, right? Like, what would it take for us to convert existing defense production into non-defense production of some sort, you know? These are questions that were debated at a certain point in history but don't seem to be on the table right now. And so it's an easy argument to make, you know, jobs, 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 economy, economic growth is necessary. But, of course, there's truth to it as well. But the merits of that argument should be more fiercely debated, for sure. The Liberals have said repeatedly that they need to honor the contract that the previous government has made with Saudi Arabia. Do you think there are any situations in which it would be appropriate to break the contract? And if they did break the contract, would there be any legal ramifications or ramifications for them in terms of the trade world? Yeah, certainly it would, it would set a precedent, wouldn't it? What the legal ramifications would be, I'm not sure. It would certainly send a message. To put it into context, Canada has a long, long history of either selling to the Saudis or attempting to sell to the Saudis. And you read in the literature how if you ever want to make a sale to the Saudis or any of the neighboring Gulf states, you've got to nurture a relationship, you've got to build a relationship over time. So this is the result, not, not even just of the conservatives' efforts or the, you know, the liberals before them, but probably the, the conservatives before them and the liberals before them, going back to Trudeau the first. And so if they were to uh, tear up this deal, so to speak, it would have some serious implications. Now, and that might be, for some people, a good thing, right, to turn this alliance on its head, so to speak. But uh, I imagine there may very well be some, there could be legal implications. Uh, but I, I, uh, I'm not an expert in that field. You touched on the conflict with Yemen and that there is a Saudi-led war going into Yemen. So obviously, if we were in an arms deal with Russia, when Russia had invaded Ukraine, I think there would be much, many more Canadians that would at least stand up and be questioning this. So do you think this has to do with the fact that your average Canadian doesn't necessarily, A, know what's going on in Yemen, or B, not really care what's going on in Yemen? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think there's an element of that, a uh, big element of that. The Canadian media seldom talks about what's been going on in Yemen. They never talked about it before this conflict broke out, and they certainly haven't been paying uh, much attention 
since the Saudi-led invasion. Of course, it's important to mention also this is a Saudi-led coalition, so a number of Canada's other allies, to which we also ship deadly arms or arms components, weapons components, systems, and so forth, such as the United Arab Emirates, uh, Qatar, Bahrain. Uh, they're all involved, and they've been involved since day one uh, in um, either bombing or actually uh, physically occupying Yemen. But yeah, the, there's very little attention paid to it. People know very little about Yemen. Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about the conflict. It's actually quite confusing, and I'm sympathetic in a way to uh, the media and their uh, reluctance to cover it. You have what is portrayed in the media that is covering it as a proxy war of Saudi-led forces against the Iran-backed Houthi militia, who basically uh, helped oust the president, Hadi, who was the, the one who replaced the longtime uh, President Saleh. Then the former President Saleh is now in alliance with the Houthis, waging the conflict against the Saudi-led coalition. Basically, the Saudis are trying to impose their will as the regional hegemon with crucial support from the United States and crucial support from the UK. And then you have these secondary layers of support from countries like Canada, who, you know, if you go, for example, on social media, you will look in vain for a reference to Yemen on, say, Prime Minister Trudeau's Twitter feed and Foreign Minister Dion's Twitter feed, uh, you had pronouncements of support for what Saudi Arabia is doing by former Foreign Affairs Minister Rob Nicholson. Of course, former Foreign Affairs Minister John Barrett has been vocal in this, his support for anything the Saudis do. But really, you know, as always in conflicts like this, those who are most profoundly and negatively affected by the conflict are the civilians, right? So there's a massive damage to civilian infrastructure. There's millions of people uh, who are internally displaced. Several thousand civilians have been killed. Critical infrastructure and civilian infrastructure has been targeted. Hospitals have been targeted. And so uh, I mean, that's kind of the aspect of the conflict I've been focusing on. And then just sort of trying to find examples, and they're, they're not all that hard to find, of, of how quietly there's a number of Canadian companies whose weaponry or components are surfacing in the Yemen conflict. But again, uh, there's been very little coverage of this and very little attention drawn to it. What process or mechanism do we have now to make sure that the weapons we are selling aren't used for purposes that we don't necessarily agree with? Honestly, I don't know what technically Canada could use, like in the event that footage appeared, for example, of civilians being killed with Canadian weapons. Or, you know, for example, right now, a few weeks ago, a Canadian Winnipeg-based sniper rifle manufacturer sniper appeared in the hands of a Yemen, Yemeni rebel that had been apparently confiscated from the Saudis. Once it appeared in the CBC report, the Department of Global Affairs announced that there's going to be an investigation into that. You know, so uh, I'm sure there are mechanisms, and I'm sure that they try to handle them as discreetly as possible, but it's up to the media and the population to draw attention to these things. So what about before the deals are actually made? Could Canada stipulate that we're only going to sell these labs to you under these circumstances? I think that uh, technically, you know, if they were actually following the letter of arms treaties and so forth, they wouldn't have sold them in the first place. Because, you know, the whole point, I think, that a lot of people are trying to, to make here is that everybody knows the number of beheadings that take place in Saudi Arabia. Everyone knows the level of repression that there is against the civilian population because of the insecurity of the ruling family, right? This is a monarchy that many scholars and, and whatnot are saying is destined to fall. So everyone around them is perceiving that you better believe that the Saudi ruling family itself is aware of that and that they're going to do anything possible to make sure that they don't fall. The way you do that is you arm yourself to the teeth and make sure that your armed forces are on your side. We're about to talk to a member of the NDP about creating a committee to oversee arms sales. How effective do you think that would be in avoiding potential problems in the future? Well, I think it'd be important. 
basically anything that can open up these questions to more and more fierce debate uh, is important. Discretion is a key element to this alliance. Uh, and so anything that sort of publicizes what's going on, there's an article published the other day about Teradyne, an Ontario-based armored vehicle manufacturer who's been supplying the Saudi border guard and the Saudi special emergency forces with armored vehicles that are being used in the conflict against Yemen and also will be used internally just like the labs will potentially. But nobody would have heard about this if it wasn't for coming across it on uh, social media just a few uh, weeks ago. A couple of defense wonks who, who posted photographs of these Canadian vehicles that were destroyed uh, or seen driving mobilized in the, in the border region. But you know, the question is, what mechanisms or resources would this committee have to actually uh, open up these questions to debate? And then to move towards addressing questions you're, you're asking a minute ago, like how can deals like this be cut in the first place and, and what could have prevented this kind of deal from being um, signed. But, you know, anything that draws closer scrutiny to these kind of transactions is a step in the right direction, in my opinion. So we've been hearing a lot about Saudi Arabia, obviously, but there must be other arms deals. So which other arms deals are out there that we should be probably keeping a closer eye on? There's companies like, say, CAE Inc., based out of Montreal. They do uh, simulators for the most part. So they train and they, they provide simulators for the armed forces of most of the Gulf states. You've got uh, companies like Pratt & Whitney. They manufacture engines for airplanes. And so you don't see headlines about Pratt & Whitney scores another deal with the Saudis. But if you know that the Pratt & Whitney Canada engines are in the airplanes that the Italians make that they send to the Saudi Royal Air Force where they train them, then you know that they're Canadian engines flying all over Saudi Arabia. Last week, there was a drone conference in the United Arab Emirates. Several deals for those engines were closed in the sale of these uh, drones to the UAE. There's other drone makers such as Arion Labs who, who just recently sold some more drones to the UAE. And then there's companies like Westcam. They make these high-tech surveillance cameras that are then attached to drones. And as far as I know, those cameras were on a couple of Swiss or Austrian-made Shebel drones that were downed in Yemen by Yemen rebels. So you're seeing things like this pop up. And there's a number of other companies. And there's a, there's a whole host of these sort of smaller, lesser-known companies that are increasingly flocking to the Middle East arms bazaars with the support of the Canadian government, uh, like IDEX and uh, Abu Dhabi and the Dubai Air Show. And every time there's another one of these exhibitions, you see, oh, a record number of Canadian companies are having a Canadian pavilion at these defense expos. And so it's important to note that it's being done with the active and enthusiastic support of the Canadian government, and that there's increasing numbers of these firms that are trying to secure a foothold in an area of the world that's obviously heating up in terms of the conflict and then building up in terms of their weaponry and uh, the weapon systems. So, Anthony, solve this arms trading conundrum for us. Stéphane Zion and Justin Trudeau hypothetically call you up and say, Anthony, we need your help. How do we solve this thing? <laughs> I mean, look, the entire nature of Canada's alliance with these ruling monarchies of the region needs to be revisited, Stefan, Justin. You know, we, need, we need to address this. Do we really want to stand by these monarchies that, as I said earlier, many are saying are doomed to fall apart? You know, why are we on the side of repressing civilian populations inside these countries? There was something called the Arab Spring, the Arab Revolutions a few years ago. We came down on the side of the ruling monarchies that were under threat. And why is that? Waves of repression have resulted since then. And if Canada really does style itself to be you know, a democracy that's setting an example for the world in terms of its commitment to human rights and democracy, 
well, then that doesn't equate with how we support these repressive ruling monarchies of the Arabian Peninsula. Okay, Sapria, so you and Anthony got pretty close to solving all of the world's arms problems, but just in case, we also wanted to speak with Hélène Laverdière. Yeah, so Hélène Laverdière is the foreign affairs critic for the NDP and uh, MP for Laurier-Saint-Marie, and here's our conversation. I think it would be very, very important to have a subcommittee on arms exports control. In the last 10 years, arms export from Canada have about doubled. And on top of it, there's been a switch where we're exporting more and more to countries like Yemen and Saudi Arabia um, rather than usual customers, if I can express myself like that. So I think it's important that parliamentarians have some sort of oversight uh, on the process and also assess the general situation and get more information about the actual arm exports that are made. This is very important. And Canadians also should know more. There's a lack of transparency on this issue right now. What current checks and balances are in place to oversee any arms deals that Canada is involved in? There's no checks and balance. There are reports that come out, but, you know, no opportunities to delve into them in depth or ask questions about that. We have a lot less information than, for example, the Americans. The Americans will put a lot of information on their website that we don't have here, There's processes in Canada that say that we have to ensure that the arms exported from Canada don't go to people who might commit human rights abuses with them or that they don't go in zone of conflicts. Well, we've seen that some of the arms we sold to Saudi Arabia, we've seen reports that they are now in Yemen and they have been used in Yemen where there's basically a civil war. So we have processes in principle. The minister always tells us, oh, we have the strictest rules and things like that. But we don't have idea how they are applied and even, you know, whether they're still applied in a very strict manner. One example is this big sale of arms to Saudi Arabia. Normally, there should have been an assessment before to make sure that there was no risk that those arms would be used to commit human rights abuses. And uh, we hear different things, but we don't have the basic information. We have asked to see that assessment. And it's very funny because the liberals before they took power in Ottawa were asking for the same thing. And now that they formed government, they don't want to release this report. So I find that very, very troubling. You mentioned the assessment. So who exactly does that assessment? Normally, it's the Department of Foreign Affairs, which is now called Global Affairs, that does that assessment. And it should be done every time. But I've asked myself, has an assessment been done and can we see it? And we just get very evasive response. And I've never seen the assessment. 
Let's talk a little bit more about your subcommittee here. Is this something that the public would have access to, or would it be one of those secret subcommittees that the public never really finds out what's going on? The public would have access to it. And there are other models. You know, the UK has uh, implemented such a subcommittee. Canada had one in the early, up to the early 90s, I think. So normally, committee meetings can be what we call in-camera once in a while. So in those cases, the public cannot attend, but otherwise they are public. But what the committee can do also is ensure that the way we inform the public more generally about our policies, our arms exports controls and things like that is benefit per se. What kind of specific criteria would your committee or your subcommittee take into account? We would start on the two track to understand the big picture, see the evolution of Canadian arms export in the last 10 or 20 years, and then have a good look at the processes that are in place and whether or not there's a mean to strengthen them or need to strengthen them, and also work potentially on some specific cases and uh, work on greater transparency and information for the public in general, and also obviously make recommendations to the government. Let's say the NDP had formed government in this last election. Would you guys have canceled that Saudi deal? I would have wanted to see the assessment first and foremost, but uh, this is very basic. This is a basic principle of democracy also because, you know, Canadians are very worried about that. And Canadians believe, as I do, that uh, human rights should be a primary concern in, in those kind of issues. Would there be any legal ramifications for the Liberals to cancel a deal that was technically, you know, signed, sealed and, and delivered to a certain degree by the Conservatives before their tenure? This is very difficult to say because we, we don't know anything of the deal. Uh, nothing has become public, so it's very, very difficult to judge from the outside. There are some civil society organizations and analysts who say that the permit has to be renewed every time uh, on a regular basis, and therefore it could eventually be stopped midway or part of the way. Other people say that when new facts emerge, it compels a review of the permit. But the basic problem is that we're in the dark here. We don't know anything about the assessment, and nobody has seen uh, the deal. So it's very difficult to comment on that. Supriya, we heard from the opposition, but... What does the Liberal government have to say about this? Yeah, so I asked Hélène Lavardière about that, and she said she's tabled her motion to create this subcommittee, but they still have yet to discuss it. So in the weeks to come, hopefully, you know, the Canadian public will get to know exactly the nitty gritty of this. We've re- actually reached out to the Liberals to respond to some of the things that Madame Lavardière said during the interview, and we've yet to hear back from them. Got it. That is the program this week. To keep the conversation going on social media, please go to Twitter or Facebook and search for us. Of course, it's Canada Land Commons. Big up to our producer this week, Kevin Sexton, and that great music you heard was by Nathan Burley. 
You can find us online at canadalandshow.com. Yo, Des, what if somebody wants to email you? That is a good question. They can reach me at desmond at canadalandshow.com. How about you? Well, until I get my email set up, I suppose they can get at you to get at me. That sounds good to me. Now, if you like this show, since you like this show, please support us. It's patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Shortcuts will be out on Thursday, and the next episode of Commons will be out next Tuesday. Peace out, everybody. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer.